So we are starting this brand new, this brand new series that I'm so excited about called The Benediction, and I can't wait to get into this. And today, we start out with this idea of legacy. And so I'm going to ask you what actually is quite a complicated and yet straightforward question, and that is this, what is your legacy? And I'm not actually asking the kind of question where maybe the preacher asks on a Sunday morning and then you just kind of go beyond it. But if you took an honest look at the depths of your soul on a Sunday morning and in your life and you looked at your legacy, what would it be? My uh, wife and I, when our kids were younger and just about to start into kindergarten or first grade, we started um, having these kind of value statement conversations with them as best we could, right? In the car, around the dinner table, at different times. Oh, thank you very much, Jamie. And we would just make these statements to them that were almost like our rules of life as a Sacconi family, right? And so we would say them, we kind of talk about them and wrote, and we'd help them to sort of learn the value and the culture of our, of our family. So for example, rule number one was we said, look for God everywhere. And we would talk about how God is always at work in different places and at different times. And it's our job as God's children to condition our minds and our hearts and our souls to watch for the Lord. And so our kids would be like, okay, dad, we're five and six years old. We're going to try to watch for God as many places as we can. Rule number two was remember your name. And it wasn't that our kids couldn't remember, you know, their, my name is Caleb or whatever. It was remember the significance of your name. You're part of the Sacconi family, right? This isn't just an Italian thing, but your name matters because you are identified as part of our wider family. When times are good, we celebrate together as a family. When times are hard, we come back to each other and we support each other as a family. So remember your name and remember the significance of your name. Rule number three, I think, is actually a perfect setup for our conversation today, and it is simply this. Take the long view. Take the long view. Now, how do you teach a five-year-old to take the long view? We haven't quite figured that out. If you have any suggestions, we're wide open because our kids are still pretty young, right? But it's very difficult for most adults to take the long view, right? Much less a five-year-old or a six-year-old who's about to take this huge step into kindergarten. But we wanted them to, to think about this. What does it mean in your life to take the long view? And you cannot consider your legacy unless you think about the long view. And it's important to note that there's a big difference between legacy and inheritance. There's a big difference between legacy and inheritance. Inheritance is the material that we leave to someone. It is maybe to some degree the depreciating assets that we leave to somebody. Our legacy is who we leave it with. It's that purpose, that hope, that value system that we invest in people. It's the value that we, that we leave into the world. The inheritance depreciates over time, but the legacy goes on for generation and generation. Now, I would say that all of us in this room might have uh, something in common. That is that we're all starting a new season in some way, right? For some of us in this room, it might be that you're starting a new season from summer to fall. The state fair has come and gone. You're into the fall system. There's cooler weather coming. You're getting the flannels ready to come out, right? Like there's a simple change that might be happening. For some of us with the with kids, the school system, the school schedules, it's a huge change, right? Our kids are older. We're dealing with different 
different chapters in their lives, and it's a, it's a new season of change. Maybe for you, it's a new responsibility in your job. Maybe it's a new relationship. Maybe even more significant things. Of course, for the church, we are in an incredible season of change and a new chapter in the church's life. Chapter maybe 2.0 or 2.5, as the search committee has called it over the years. But we are in a season of change, and a season of change is a great time to consider our legacy. When the sun is setting on our lives, whenever that time will be in the distant future, and we look back at our legacy, what will we be known for? What will we be known about? And this sets up our benediction perfectly. This charge, this benediction perfectly calls out our legacy and it calls us to take the long view to consider how we make decisions now that impact years to come in our lives the benediction is simply this and i'm going to read it for you today but i'd like to engage this as a church for at least the next four weeks because i think this sets up the kind of legacy that we want to be about both as individuals and as a community it says this may you jump into the arms of jesus May you jump into the arms of Jesus. And may he push you out into the world. May you be healed as you participate in the healing of others. Not because you must, but because you may. This is what you were made for. What an incredible and beautiful words that we have. And we begin today with, may you jump into the arms of Jesus. John chapter 5. Before we dig into our text, would you please pray with me and let's ask the Lord to open up his word and bless us with his wisdom. So Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for, we thank you for this community that's gathered together in this place. We thank you for our kids that are in the back and over in the classrooms. We thank you for the way that you are wooing them into a relationship with you. Father, may this church be known as a congregation, a body, even a location that always points to your glory. And may we find that truth here today in John chapter 5 as we wrestle with the text together. May you speak to our hearts and our minds. We want to hear only from you and your spirit, God. And we love you and we give you this time. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now it's interesting with John chapter 5, and I appreciate Jamie reading that text for us and us talking through it with the kids. But there's a really interesting tension in John chapter 5 between hope and hopelessness. There's a tension between hope and hopelessness. And I actually think um, as we unpack the text, you'll see that the man lying by the pool, Bethesda, had a, a varying degree of hope and hopelessness. And as Minnesotans, we might be able to understand a little bit of what this kind of hope and hopelessness looks like. And if you'll indulge me for just a moment, I'd like to use a sports reference to start us off today. Now, some of you are like, Tim, we're not really sports people. I understand this will not be a common practice, but... Minnesota Vikings fans know the difference between hope and hopelessness, right? We understand the hope and the hopelessness that's come. Now, if you're not a sports fan, if you're not an NFL fan, the NFL season just kicked off. Week one was last week, and the Minnesota Vikings played the evil cross-border rivals, the Green Bay Packers, right? Boo, everybody, okay? Sorry for those of you who are Packer fans. And there was all this kind of hope for the Vikings right now. There's a new coach, a new system, all sorts of things. And wouldn't you know it, last week, the Minnesota Vikings beat their cross-border rivals, the evil Green Bay Packers. And they didn't just beat them, kind of. They beat them bad, right? Which is great for Minnesota Vikings fans. And there's all this hope. 
In fact, this week, if you've listened to any sports cast or talked to any Minnesota Vikings fan, they're like, oh, the Vikings were so great. Could this be the year, right? And I'm telling you, I've heard people say, could this be the year that we finally make it once in my lifetime to the Super Bowl? Could this be the year? But if you have been a Minnesota Vikings fan for any historical time, you will know that there's also a hopelessness, right? A missed extra point, a missed field goal with the, one of the greatest field goal seasons ever that could have taken us to the next step. Or what about when Brett Favre, rolling to his right, throws across his body left, interception to the Saints. There's a hopelessness that's there. So Minnesota Vikings have a tension that they wrestle with, right? We hope, and yet we're kind of hopeless. And it's interesting to see how the man at the pool of Bethesda had that same sort of thing. John chapter 5, what do we know about the text? First of all, we know that this was a time of a feast happening in Jerusalem. It was a great feast. Now, I want you to think about a huge crowd of people had gathered for this feast. People had come from, probably thousands and thousands of people had come from all around to come together for one of the sacred festivals or the feasts that the people were celebrating. We actually don't know which feast this text was talking about. I actually don't think it's that relevant to our conversation today. Could have been many of the different feasts, but we know that the city center would have probably been packed. It probably would have been a very, very crowded moment in the city. And we can think of a lot of different parade-type situations in our culture where people come together to celebrate different things. Get that image in your mind of a very chaotic and very busy, busy city. Now, around the pool, um, I would like you to picture these porches around two large pools, the pools at Bethesda. And these were two great outdoor pools. They had awnings that came across the pool everywhere. And it was a lot of different seating area around these pools. And the pools were packed with people. And they all had two things in common. Number one, the people all around the pools. And by the way, the pools were set off the city center a little bit. So they weren't right in the middle of the hubbub. But these pools were packed with people. And there was two things that they had in common. Number one, they were all sick. There was either uh, different affirmities that they were dealing with. They were all sick. And number two, they were all waiting for something something to happen. And what that something is, is actually not written in your Bibles. Even in the Bible app, unless you're looking at, I think, the King James Version, verse 4 is missing from chapter 5. It's a really unique moment in Scripture. Verse 4 actually explains what they were waiting for. And I'll do my best to try to unpack that for you this morning. Now, there was sort of a legend, a history of something that happened special during this pool during one of the festivals. And it's found in verse 4 that has been omitted. Maybe it was questioned whether it was true or not from the Bible. Who knows why they omitted it. But it talked about that there was a spirit from the heavens, an angel, if you will, that would come down from the heavens and would actually stir the waters of the pool. That the pool of Bethesda would start to stir up. And if you were sick and you could be the first one in the pool, when it was stirred, you would be healed whatever you were dealing with, you would be healed. And so people had heard of this legend from miles and miles, or in their culture, kilometers and kilometers around, and they would come from many, many, many much uh, great distance to gather around this pool and wait for the waters to stir and then compete to be the first one in so they could be healed. Now, we don't actually know if that's 
a God, holy kind of thing that stirred the waters. If there truly was an angel that came down, it might have been true. Like, the God I believe in does miraculous things all the time. It's very possible that a Spirit of the Lord came down and stirred the waters of the pool. And that it was a holy moment and a holy healing. It could also have been that it was a, a hot spring. Or an artesian well where there was some sort of um, healing principles to the water that we enjoy now all the time. If you've ever been over in the Colorado Rockies, there's gorgeous hot springs that people go into to you know, have healing components to them. Could have been something like that. We don't know. But what we do know is that hundreds and hundreds of people believed that if they were the first one in the water, they would have been healed. There was hope. There was hope. I wonder, and I just get this image in my mind, that whenever the waters would have been stirred, the desperation, the chaos that would have ensued around the people trying to get into the water. What a scene that would have been terrifying and probably incredible in some ways as well. And when we get to verse 5 and 6, we see that there was a man lying there who had been afflicted for uh, 38 years. Now, happy birthday, Jamie. But we can say 38 years is a long time. It's a long time. In fact, it might be, you know, if, if you've ever been sick, you've ever been dealing with a long-term injury, a long-term illness, or a long-term debilitating disease, you know that it's sometimes very difficult to see beyond that. And of course, this man, who the Bible says had been sick for 38 years, probably didn't know another narrative. Probably didn't know another situation. And Jesus walks up to him and says, do you want to be well? Oh, I'm off my things here. Sorry about that. There we go. Do you want to be made well? I imagine how this man would have looked. Weary, tired, probably to some degree frail, hoping to be the first one into the pool amongst hundreds and hundreds of people. And Jesus walks up to him and sees him lying there amongst the hundreds of people. What a God-ordained moment, a divine moment in time that would change the man's life forever. And Jesus asks a man a sincere question. This man has been sick for 38 years. It's safe to say that all he knew was what it meant to be sick. He had a support system around him. He probably gained some financial support from the state. He only knew what it meant to be sick. And Jesus asked him a real question. Do you want to be well? Because if all you've known is to create a life around being sick, then what about your mind, your soul, and your heart? Because it would be safe to assume that to some degree this man would have been so used to, in his heart of hearts, being someone who was identified as ill. And his response in verse 7 is very telling. The man says to Jesus, almost in a sense of hopelessness, I have nobody to help me get into the pool. And he says it in a way that it will never happen. I'll never be the one to get into the pool when the waters stir. He's saying this to Jesus like Jesus doesn't get it. Like, don't you understand how this works? I will never be first. There was hope. I mean, the man was there. Somehow he got to the pool of Bethesda. Somebody must have helped him set up alongside of the pool. And yet there was a hopelessness because he never felt like he could get into the water. The man lying by the pool of Bethesda only thought the way he could be healed, the way he could be set free, was that if he was healed in the same way that everyone was hoping to be healed, he could only see one way. And we do that all the time. 
This sort of thinking is in the world everywhere. We think, okay, if I can be healed or if I can be free, if I could have purpose, if I can have really the best life that I want, then maybe I, just, I need to earn a little bit more money. If I just had a little bit more money, a little bit more savings, that security that comes with that, then I'll be free. Maybe I'll even be healed from whatever has plagued me in the past. If I could just have that right relationship, if I could just have the right person in my life, then I'll maybe be cured of my loneliness. I can be set free from that. If I just have the right doctor or just the right medicine, we think like these things all the time. In some degree, these things are temporary. What if I told you that we all could find security and contentment and hope and purpose without having to look at any depreciating asset. I mean full security, full contentment, full purpose, and it wouldn't take you anything to give. I would say meet Jesus Christ. Like the man at the pool, we get locked into thinking that the only way we can have purpose, be healed, have hope, is to chase something down in this world that only lets us down. And Jesus says, be free. Jesus says something to the man that would change his life forever. And it echoes in our lives even here today. He says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Jesus knows this guy is sick. He knows, he knows he's afflicted. He knows he's paralyzed. He says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And the hope that Jesus Christ brings is not that the man would be the first one in the pool. The hope is found in the healing power of the Word of God. The Son of God, Jesus the Christ, who has power in His name and the power to heal. Now I want to say two things about this. That I, I want to make two statements that I think are mostly true, and you can debate them later if you don't believe them, okay? It's fine. But I think these statements are mostly true, and we can talk about this another time. But number one... I think everybody wants to be well. I don't think anybody really wants to be sick or hopeless or purposeless. I think everybody wants to be well. I think that's a pretty fair statement. Number two, I think everybody wants an incredible legacy. I think everybody wants an incredible legacy. I think everyone wants to look at the end of their life and look back and see great things that God has done in their life great relationships, great purposes, you know, treasure that multiplied and was exponential. I think everybody wants a great legacy. My dear, dear friend, covenant pastor Carlos Davides, he passes a church out in Boise, Idaho. Yes, we have churches in Boise, Idaho, if you wondered. Um, and he says this very incredible phrase that I want to give to you today, and I actually think it's very true. It's, he says this, words create realities. He actually says worlds create worlds. Words create worlds. I think it's a little bit easier to think about it this way. Words create realities. And I think it's true. Think about this for a minute. The words you use every day create a reality. Who you choose to tell the person that you love. I love you. The, the phrase that you say that to someone, that creates a reality. The person you said no to or the situation you said no to, it created a reality. The person you said yes to or the situation you said yes to creates a reality. You might have said no to some job in the past. That created a reality. You might have said yes to your current job and that's created a reality. What about on the day you were wed? For those of you who are married, you said yes to someone, it created a reality. 
we are in this season of a new season at the church, we've both said yes to each other. What a new reality this has been created. Words create realities. What we say, what we commit to, who we define ourselves as, it all impacts our legacy. Am I getting a little too loud for a small room? Because this starts getting me pretty excited. Our words impact all of who we are at the depth of our souls. It impacts our kids. It impacts our kids' kids. Think of the generational approach to this conversation. It impacts our trajectory of our lives and our legacy. So what does it mean to jump into the arms of Jesus, to live into this first part of our new benediction? Maybe it's found in our response when Jesus looks us each in the eye every morning and says, do you want to be made well? And don't hear me wrong, I'm not implying that we need to seek out new salvation from Christ every day, but we certainly need to surrender our lives every day to Christ. It's called taking up our cross and bearing that burden. Do you want to be made well? Do we say yes to Jesus or no to Jesus? You know, the man at the pool of Bethesda had the option. He could have said no. He could have not responded. He said, Jesus, you're crazy. I've been laying here 38 years. I have no way to be well. You have the option as well. Do you want to be made well? What will your yes be and what will your no be? Are we really so different from the man sitting by the side of the pool of Bethesda waiting waiting for something to happen to us that would give us a hope beyond a chance, waiting to be healed from something that has afflicted us from years, for years, maybe even our entire lives. I need you to hear this because this is something I'm also working on my own faith. God sees our greatest struggles as an opportunity to show his glory. God sees our greatest pain as an opportunity to show his glory. God sees our greatest shame that we confess and give over to the Lord as an opportunity to show his glory through the breaking of the bondage of sin in our lives to the pain in our lives through it all. And are we really so different from the hundreds of other people that were lying there around the pool, all focused on the water? These hundreds and hundreds of people lying around the pool waiting for the water to stir and the Son of God who had the power to heal them is literally standing in their midst and they missed it. They missed it. Jesus Christ could have said, you are healed and instead all they saw and waited for was the water. Are we so different? There are so many other things that we focus on other than Jesus hoping for purpose, hoping for hope, hoping to be healed are we really so different like the man lying beside the pool of the bethesda all we have to do is say yes that's really the most amazing part of the story is that all the man had to do was follow jesus's words all he had to do was obey him picked up his mat and his life was changed forever it's the same opportunity that we have every single day there is power in the name of jesus there is power that to some degree is a mystery to our human minds. That when Jesus says a word, we are healed. When Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and walk, Jesus essentially is challenging us to have faith in him, to believe the impossible, to believe in God. Yes, Jesus has the power to heal the human body. We have seen examples of that throughout history. 
But yes, Jesus has the power also to free us from our sin and our shame, which is perhaps a more debilitating condition than any other physical ailment that we could ever deal with. We are called to get up, pick up our mat, and walk. Words create realities. What will your yes be? Our yeses matter. What will you say to Jesus today when he challenges you? What will your legacy be? Friends, I cannot think of a better legacy than jumping into the arms of Jesus, than saying, God, take my life and use it for your glory. May it always point to your glory. I can't think of a better legacy as a church than when we look down the road at what God has done in this season, that New City Covenant Church is always a church that points to the glory of the Lord. But it starts with us individually. Are you willing to lay your life down at the feet of Christ and say, Jesus, take it, make me well? May that be true of all of us in our everyday relationships, in our family relationships, in the most complicated situations you are dealing with. And please, Lord, may it be true of this church. I am in for that, that we be a church that jumps into the arms of Jesus together. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let me pray for us. God, we love you and we are so thankful for your words. We are so thankful that you are in the business of healing people, of giving people purpose, that you are in the business of giving people hope. And so, Father, we come before you and we ask, God, that you would take our lives and would you let it be that your glory would shine through us, that everything in us would reflect the love you have for us, the purpose you have for us. Oh, God, the forgiveness of sins and the hope for salvation. Father, I want to pray that this church would be a church known as a congregation, a body, a family, that jumps into your arms. Not perfect. This isn't a calling to perfection in any way. Can't do that. We can't be that because we're human. But on this journey, Lord, we lay it down at your feet and we ask you to make it good. Thank you for your word, how sweet it is. May it instruct our hearts and our minds today. We pray these these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen.